0: Hi, I'm Dan Higgins. Um, I'm a professional dancer, performer, choreographer, storyteller.
1: The voice you just heard belongs to Dan Higgins from Repertory Dance Theatre.
0: I work with a company called Repertory Dance Theatre here in Salt Lake City, and I've been working with them for the last six years as a professional company member, so performing, rehearsing, teaching, um, and then kind of working as myself, for myself, uh, as a choreographer on the side of that with my own kind of artistic practice and endeavors. Um, I've lived in Salt Lake City now for six years or going on seven. So I moved here to work for Repertory Dance Theater, but I'm from California. I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. I love Salt Lake. It's a great place to live. So that's me in a nutshell.
1: (laughs) who met with me over Zoom in the stay-at-home quarantine of 2020 to talk to me about dance training, choreography, and storytelling through movement. I'm your host, Liz Christensen, and it's all in the telling. Welcome to episode 43 with my guest, Dan Higgin. Dan comes to professional dance from perhaps an unlikely background which you can get more information on by checking out Dan's bonus content on the In The Telling Podcast YouTube channel. Dan didn't even start dancing until college. He played football in high school. Tell me, on a, as technical a level as you want to, what skills from football or like, I don't know, body awareness type things transferred over for you easily and what things were you, have to, um, you had to process a little differently?
0: I think athletic coordination in general was something that I came into, like just knowing where your body is. I think is something that athletes do all the, they have to, I would say that the details, well, not that there's more details in dance and movement. It's just organizing your body in a different way. So I think having, having that physical background and that knowledge of my body being an athlete for so long really helped me progress quickly in dance because uh, the there is a, a huge attention to detail in sports, absolutely, uh, any sport. And then just kind of applying that idea alone to something like dance, I think, helped me a lot because I was looking for kind of the details already right off the bat uh, because of the long years and kind of diligence and training I had playing sports growing up. And so then just getting used to like organizing the standing in first position, for example, with your feet and legs turned out, is so unnatural for the human body. It's not something that an ordinary you wake up a kid growing up does, right? They don't, that's an unnatural body placement for most of us. So learning kind of those interesting, like lineage things that have been passed down in dance training were the, the more tricky things I think to, to get used to, but I think with time and, Practice, anything can be learned so yeah.
1: When you say uh, detail are you talking about things like uh, your elbow being at this angle and at this level and yeah, like sure, that kind sure, that yeah. of stuff?
0: Yeah definitely like the just precision of uh, like proprioception the, the precision that's required in any sort of dance form style and that's just I mean you could blanket that with like just learning choreography for example everybody's different everybody has different things, the different placements, different things, and especially with uh, RDT, working through so many different uh, choreographers and different eras, different ages of dance, and our, our rep spans basically 120 years almost now, or 110 years of, of dance lineage and history that we perform. So learning different qualities that that requires, different forms that that requires. Uh, So that attention to detail, I think, definitely is super important.
1: How academic is your process and your awareness with, like, the different history and the genres of dance? Or is it just um, functional awareness, whatever you need to know to produce a form? Am I making sense? (laughs)
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah it's a it's a, a loaded question I think it's going to take me a second to gather my thoughts around it how academic well I mean immediately I would say extremely academic um, but you know I think it's like with anything different different choreographers different dance lineages will catch your fancy or they won't and I think if you're more interested in one, you're probably going to research it a little more. Like if I'm more interested, for example, if I'm more interested in Martha Graham or Lamone or Jose Lamone, uh, I let's say I'm more interested in Jose Lamone. I'm going to do a little more research on that. I'm going to kind of read some of his documents, and maybe that's when it becomes a little more academic. If you do like more background research, I think a lot of dancers it in the studio is academic for sure. But there is a way I think to kind of let it pass and not and kind of only focus on the movement and not dive into kind of the storytelling of the movement and how the relationship on stage and then how his thoughts transcended through that person's thoughts on stage and then how the movement also uh, dictates that at times. So I think it, it becomes extremely academic when you choose and want it to be, I think.
1: <laughs> I love that you keep using the word storytelling how do you tell a story with your body though without words without a lot of visual support like a film would have?
0: This is a, it's a another great loaded question you're asking. <laughs> uh, I think as as humans as people who rely on society and rely on interaction as we're all finding out right now um, everybody knows um, body language So everybody knows what it feels like when they're extremely sad, when they have a lump in their chest, when they've lost something or somebody that was very important, they know there is a feeling that definitely changes your body physically. And then on the flip side of that, when you're extremely happy and you're just ecstatic to see something or somebody or hear something, your, your body kind of brightens up a little bit. And the, just that alone, that change even what I'm doing right now, if I'm interested in something, I'm kind of coming forward to it. And if I'm not, I'm like, Oh gosh, either I'm scared of it or I'm kind of sunken. I'm sad, whatever. So body language is something that everybody can relate to. And I think that alone would be a jumping off point for how physical movement can tell a story.
1: Talk to me about, cause I can, I can see how that transfers well into like spatial relationships between people. How are you, what kind of tools are, do you have for like the dancer in the space, the dancer by him or herself?
0: Yeah, and that's, that's uh, I think uh, a big discussion that has been going on forever um, in dance and movement arts and theatrical arts. Proximity, especially when you get into choreography and staging something, so proximity, is there somebody right next to you or far away? is the whole space empty are you alone or are there a lot of people and that alone is choreography and kind of staging and sculpting the space to suggest ideas thoughts emotive qualities for example if you see someone standing all alone and they're doing a softer kind of like into themselves movement style maybe that's going to suggest something versus them in a in a pile of people kind of moving frantically and and vibrantly. So those two drastic differences will suggest different thoughts for the viewer.
1: When you're choreographing, because it it sounds like you're communicating a story through like a series of emotions with which we can relate and a language that we kind of intuitively get, but also it could communicate some conceptual things that aren't emotional or are, but, uh, words are hard. Um, <laughs> some conceptual stuff. Obviously I've seen dance that looks a little plot based, right? That's trying to show me a series of events and cause and effect things. Are you overtly trying to balance your usage of those tools or are you overtly in any way trying to say, you know what, I'm going to deal with just an emotional Um, representation and not try to have a lot of plot in there or I want this to be very conceptual and I'm going to try to keep this out.
0: I mean both are absolutely utilized a lot both ends of that spectrum and everything in between so obviously there are lots of dance works that have strict plot lines and have definitive beginning middle climax and end and then I think there's a lot especially in the contemporary and modern dance realm whatever the difference is between those. I don't know, don't ask me. (laughs) In that realm where it's a little left, it's left a lot more open. And I think the abstractness of some works in that realm leave the opportunity for, or I think successful works in that realm leave the opportunity for viewers and audience members and even performers to bring their own experiences into the room and experience them through what they're seeing or what they're feeling or what they're hearing. So that I feel the best, the most successful works in that realm offer enough of an idea for the audience member to engage in that idea, but not totally say what it is, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, Um, I wanna relate it a little bit to like acting maybe for a minute. A director or an actor comes in and they have a script um, and sometimes if it's a musical, they also have a score, right? And that's like sort of the foundation that they're building on. Is there anything other than the sound of the music that's like your script?
0: Uh, yes. Uh, a lot of times when I'm creating work myself, I don't, even, I don't even choreograph to the music. I'll make it separately. So I'll choreograph movement uh, and I'll just have kind of random music playing in the studio as I'm making movement making a duet, making a solo, making a bigger group phrase, uh, I'll choreograph it to something completely different. And then layer later, much later in the process, I'll bring in other music and I'll see what kind of feels the vibe that I'm going for fits that void that suggests maybe if I'm wanting it to feel a certain way to the audience, then maybe that layer of that suggested music will provide that. Um, sometimes I will, though, choreograph to the music. But even when I choreograph to music, I don't feel that the music is the dictator of the choreography.
1: So you're, you're starting with um, what you want to communicate. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Definitely.
0: And I think a lot of that, like we were saying earlier, for me specifically, when I'm creating my own, is very different than what we do on RDT. Sometimes similar, but um, I definitely focus on a couple of things. Definitely relationships. Um so that comes in what we we're saying in proximity are there people close to maybe there's a, that we'll use the solo dancer that we're using is there somebody very close while they're moving or is there are there a group of people that are kind of standing away and watching and that kind of relationship will prescribe a feeling on stage or in the room so I'll work for relationship definitely and then I've been really interesting interested in how I can change the space So I've used kind of obscure like props in the past. I just made a piece last uh, winter in December and I used six, six and a half foot long black benches that were used as benches. Sometimes, sometimes they created a wall. Sometimes they created kind of like a strewn, toppled ruin thing sometimes they suggested a coffin so they became their own caricatures within the environment that we were playing with and they helped sculpt the environment so changing the environment while still being abstract I guess you could say
1: um uh, was that in memory of
0: no that <laughs> this was a piece called speak
1: uh, okay. Um,
0: but in memory of I also had a Set piece, a table and a chair that kind of stayed at the back, which kind of gave a separation of depth so that then we could kind of scope in, fine tune the eye to the back with just me back there while things were going on in the foreground and then vice versa. So that offered a a level of depth for the audience and the choreography that was going on in the space.
1: So when you're choreographing, you start with. Um, here's something I want to say, and maybe that's not totally like laid out. Maybe it's a bit more of an exploration and not just like an articulation, but, um, you're starting conceptually and movement is the first of your tools that you're going for. And then you're adding in music after that, just sort of generally,
0: generally, yes, I would start with movement. Well, I would start, yeah, conceptually for sure. Um, well, Eh, those are interchangeable. I would say movement and,
1: uh,
0: okay. Concept. I think overall concept, I don't really figure out until maybe halfway through a process. So I'll kind of start to make, um, I kind of have a general idea of maybe where it's going to go, but I'll definitely then push to movement and develop some things and then kind of play and order them differently. And then eventually, okay, now we kind of have this thing that's going in this direction. And then a, a real concept comes to light. Um, I think a lot of the the pre-gaming of developing a piece, developing a show, whatever, there has to be some level of conception, concept before, right, we have to, Um, but the the big thing, the true one comes, I think, halfway through, at least for me.
1: At what point are you working with other dancers in that? Like how much of this is your, I like that you used the word pre-game, Um, how much of this is you before other people are involved and how much is it collaboratively in the moment in exploration?
0: Uh, I spend a lot of time thinking. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of time on my own outside the studio. Uh, And so for, let's say I do, I don't know, a rough estimate of 150 hours in the studio for a show like In Memory Of that was an hour or 70 two minutes long, I think, it's roughly an hour or 150 hours in the studio for something like that, rough estimate. I would at least do at least that many hours outside the studio, probably a little more, let's say 200 hours outside the studio. of Me just thinking, writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: writing. What are you? What are you doing with the writing?
0: Writing ideas, writing words, writing uh, memories, writing, things I see, interactions of people as I people watch throughout the day, uh, happenstances that happen in the studio at RDT that then inform thoughts and things I might want to try. So lots of I, writing down lots of blurb ideas, lots of one-line thoughts, lots of one-line quotes that I think are extremely potent. And then not that I draft out what's going to happen in the studio, but I, I might write down like a plan of action. It's, that's, I think that's later once we get into the process. So I'll say like, hey, I want to maybe try and accomplish this at this rehearsal or by this date, I need to have something like this drafted out. I don't know. So lots of writing, lots of thinking and reading. I think reading for me is uh, a big influence.
1: What kind of stuff are you reading?
0: Uh, I read lots of philosophy. I read lots of poetry. I read lots of old stories, like mythologies, um, things like that.
1: That makes me think evocative stuff. Sure. On like an emotion. On, I mean, like um, as opposed to cerebral. Oh, I guess maybe that's not fair. Cause if it's philosophy. I don't know what word I mean, but there seems to be a connecting pattern to that um, that makes it sense to make sense to me that you're not reading maybe so much an autobiography or um, a historical political text or.
0: Right. Yeah, I think if it's more pinpointed, I might look towards something like that for inspiration. If it's if it's. Uh, yeah, historical biographical things i might if i'm really researching like a specific character that might show up or something then i might look towards something like that to give me some inspiration about uh what they did how they did it why the why they made the choices they made but
1: as a choreographer how prescriptive are you about the movement are you help are you having dancers find things um generate things or are you going in and saying okay i want you to move like this and you are actively sculpting them
0: Uh, I would say it's probably about 60-40 for me.
1: Uh, Which one's the 60?
0: 60 is me, I would say. Prescribing and being definitive about what I want. And then the 40% is definitely them, especially when I'm working with, uh, I don't know, let's say, for example, a dancer who I really trust and know really well, more familiar with, I will oftentimes kind of create with them. So I'll create some movement and then I'll have them create the next little thing of movement to add on and then I'll create and then they'll create and there'll be a dialogue that way. I've also done where I really trust this person. I'll give them a thought and I'll say, Hey, go work on this or tell me this story and I'll have them create. And then I might go in after and be like, Oh, I really like this moment. I really didn't care for that. Maybe. Get rid of that, or so. There's definitely times when it's uh, collaborative, but I I like I like to. I mean, I'm still young, so I like to get in there and mix it up and have fun in the studio and still move. So,
1: what made you start to pivot towards choreography as a thing that you were really interested in as a dancer?
0: The exploration is therapeutic. It helps me formalize my own thoughts and beliefs about what I'm doing what I am practicing with other groups with RDT, my own thoughts about life, my own thoughts about my interactions with people. It helps me process everything. Um, And to make choices and make mistakes and try things out. And that's okay because we're in a studio and that's why, that's where you do it. You have a lab and you mess up and you come back to it later and figure it out. And also I think importantly is how, the theater in itself, you know, kind of brings people together in a dark room to share an experience and to have them look at something through a lens that's not their own perspective and listen and hear and see and feel maybe, you know, we hope.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is kind of a bizarre question maybe, but when I have learned that you came to dance from a football place, I instantly wondered if as a choreographer, you ever look at like formations and traffic patterns almost like in an aerial football play kind of manner.
0: It's interesting you ask that. When I first, very, very beginning, like, oh gosh, this is five and a half years ago now, crazy, started choreographing. I mean, I did a little bit in college, but not, not to the extent now that I, what I'm doing uh, and nor did I have the practice behind me you know at that point in college when I first started choreographing I'd only been dancing for like a year and a half so I had zero knowledge of what was going on um, but starting early here in Salt Lake I definitely wrote it all down and I like drew out like formations and like pathways and lines and like wrote down every little thing I think I could I was like oh they need to dance on like count six and five and seven and whatever and that didn't really work out well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me and, yeah, tell me why that didn't work out well.
0: It was too. It was too precise. It left. It left me no options or opportunity to see things in the studio. I was like, no, it has to be like this. This is what I drew out. This is what it's going to be. And it's like, not that I directed the room like that and made it like err, but um, it just left no opportunity for for myself to be surprised or have happy accidents happen it just was too too hands on
1: do you have any remnant of like do you still make little marks just in, d- in different ways with it being more free form if that's a fair word for it
0: oh yeah i will still i mean i still write and i'll draw out little stage diagrams like i had for this past show when i used the benches the six benches I drew little diagrams of maybe where I wanted them to be and situated and then where that left space in the stage for movement or bigger things. So I drew little things like that, but not as, not as uh, heavily as the other time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> where are you hoping to go? Like, What do you want the trajectory of your career to look like from this point on for a while?
0: It's a big, big question you're asking. <laughs> I won't uh,
1: do it or anything. So,
0: <laughs> good. Um, I mean, that's something I've been asking myself a lot recently in the last couple months. It's like, oh, what do I, you know, what do I want to do in the next five years? Every year, what's the five year plan? What's right? The, you know, what do you hope for yourself? Where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? I'd love to keep performing as much as I can.
1: Thank you to my guest, Dan Higgins. You can help more people find In the Telling by leaving a review on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast delivery platform. Find out more about In the Telling at LizzyLizzyLiz.com. Subscribe to the In the Telling podcast channel on YouTube for bonus content. Theme music by Gordon Vitas. In the Telling is hosted and produced by me, Liz Christensen. Thank you for listening.